White man love me when I get my bling on. White man love me when I get my bling on. White man love me when I get my bling on. But you hate me, but you, but you, but you hate me, hate me. What's going on, man? We back for another episode of the regular podcast. <clears throat> Today, you know, um, we gonna we, I'm gonna talk to a few of my guys from uh, that I met while incarcerated, and that happened to be doing very well for themselves right now. And we all got out um, relatively close to each other, so um, that tells you that that it'll show you what type of work is possible. If you ever felt like you might have been in an adverse situation or if you feel like you can't do something because of whatever reason you feel like it is, when you listen to, to, to what we have to say about this situation, I think you might think differently, man, because I have uh, we all like had different times, uh, different incarceration times, sentences, really. I was locked up for the shortest period of the three of us. And but that still was a significant blow. And what I had going on in my life and everything like that. So I want y'all to um, hear what we got going on and listen up. That'll come in a little bit. But for now, how y'all been, man? I've been cool. I didn't really promote last week's episode like that because, you know, I, I wanted to. That was just a slight. That was some slight. I didn't press it. I didn't push it like I normally do. I didn't tag everybody. I didn't post it on um, Twitter and um, pin it. I just, you know, I wanted to keep daddy issues pumping a little bit. So, I've been cool this week. Uh, just very chilling. I, I listened to the Rick Ross album. Drake's album is supposed to drop Saturday evening at 6 p.m. It's 6.04 right now. So, this album is, is happening right now. And I'm recording. So, I'm not even, um, I'm not listening to it yet. So, this will come out and I won't have heard that album. But Rick Ross's album, I did hear, and I loved it. Rick Ross's diss to Birdman is pretty much everything that we pretty much already knew about, except for the Khaled thing. I didn't know about Khaled. You know, I didn't know he did anything dirty to Khaled. So I'm guessing Birdman has no chill. Birdman, he'll screw any. Well, of course he will, because if he'll, if he'll screw Lil Wayne, which is his biggest cash cow, you know, he made him. They, cash money probably made easily over a billion dollars. And most of that is from Lil Wayne. If he would screw him, the man he calls him his son, you know he'll screw DJ Khaled. So that was the only thing that I really learned. I learned that um Rick Ross thought Birdman's watch is fake. He learned that his watch was fake. I don't know, you know, I don't know if that was just part of the diss or if that's something he really found out. You know how when you dissing somebody, you might sprinkle little things in there and it'll make people think it's true just because you said it. But it's really just for shock value. We don't know. We do know Birdman got 30 million back in the 90s. So to say Birdman had on a, a fake watch, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I'm not going to say I believe that 100%. I won't say I believe it. But hey, everything in, in beef, you know, we don't have to be true. Just say it, you know, whatever. That's how, you know, that's how rap beef go. You just say whatever will get you the most shock value and things like that. To say Birdman had on a fake watch, though, I don't know if I'm buying that. Okay, now the album itself, the album itself is called Rather You Than Me. In my opinion, this is a very, this is the best rap album to come out so far in 2017. 
I listen to pretty much every album that come out. You know, I don't even know if I would call Futures Hendrix a rap album, but he's a rapper. He put the album out, so we'll call that one too. That's not better than this new Rick Ross. This new Rick Ross is the best rap album that came out this year, in my opinion. 2017, so it's only a few months in, and I haven't heard more life yet either. So as of right now, Rather You Than Me by Rick Ross is it. Great production. Rick Ross is doing some good rapping, man. Um, the flows, he has the perfect features. It's not even like, you know, it's not a lot of clashing, just trying to make hot songs, catchy for the radio and all that. It's none of that. It's classic Rick Ross. It's another solid album. It, it You know, um, I think my favorite one on there right now, like the first time I listened, my favorite song was Trap, Trap, Trap. That is featuring, uh, that's featuring Young Thug and Wale. That sounds like a weird com weird combination, right? But that song is hard. But then as I kept listening, because I listened to this album a bunch of times already because it just sounds good to me. After listening, I think my favorite joint is probably Santorini Grease. That's the second song on the CD. Man, you talking about, man, that's woke, that's woke Rick Ross right there. Santorini Grease is, is a hard song to me. I like, that's probably my favorite song at this point. Um... Yeah, man, y'all just, you know, take a minute, go listen to that album. I think it's a good album, you know. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good album. Some people, uh, pretty much most of the people that have said that I've seen to say anything about it, it's all positive reviews. Now, it won't do the numbers as far as sales and streams like a Drake or somebody like that, but that doesn't matter. The music is there. The music is good. Very solid music. You know, it's 2017. We don't need videos anymore. I, have, I don't know when the last time I watched a music video. I really don't care to see them at all. So, you know, as far as music goes, this is top-notch music right here. Good quality, good, solid Rick Ross music. Um, So, that's pretty much it. Um, it's a lot of crisis going on right now or mental breakdowns from a lot of people with this stuff that they're seeing that Donald Trump and his compadres are, are um, proposing. I don't have it all in front of me, but I will say... They are cutting a lot of money from different things. They're cutting budgets all over the place. And it's funny, right? Because they did all of this talk about infrastructure. Even the Department of Transportation is getting a 13% budget cut. So don't just think it's um, that they're doing things to, uh, that hurt black people. Donald Trump is just being, I guess, stupid or what? Because he just made a whole campaign based on how America, it wasn't, his his whole a lot of his campaign talked about how he goes to other countries and the roads and bridges and airports and everything are so nice, but in America ours are trash. Yet, and then the um the American Society of Civil Engineers they put out the uh, infrastructure report card, and America scored a D plus overall D plus. And then Trump comes back with this budget cut proposal that will slash thirteen percent of the budget from the Department of transportation very strange activity i don't know what his thinking is i really don't care because this is all, it's all a circus i don't know if i should take any of it serious at this point i do know that they cut some money for hud too so i need to close on this house before that stuff goes into effect because i'm trying to get an fha loan and you know all of that stuff is tied together i need that anyway uh yeah, so so Trump is, you know, Trump and his people, they're losing their mind right now. I don't I don't know how else to put it. They're losing their mind. Okay, so first up, I'm going to call my, my homeboy Victorious. 
and then um you know y'all can listen to him you know i let him go for a minute because he's a truck driver so he's on the road and he just you know has time to talk at this point he does he doesn't always have time to talk but right now he does so y'all listen to this call from my boy victorious Peace. yo bro what's going on what's going on brother all right man i'm recording right now man so listen <clears throat> that's what we want to do why don't you introduce yourself introduce yourself to the people for me uh, my honorable name is Lindsay Terry. My wife's name is Victoria Salah. What kind of background do you have, my good brother? Uh, as far as what, brother? Um, I mean, where where you come from? Where were you raised at? You well, know, how old are you? Born and raised in in Halifax, Virginia, a little small town, man. A uh, little inside chill. We like to say where we from. We got two stores: one sells chips, one sells soda. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, good, humble background, man. Uh, Two-parent home, uh, raised right. You know, family support is major, big. You know, and then staying true and staying humble is, is, is always been a key thing for being where we from. You know what I mean? Uh, age 32, uh, 32 miles on this planet, man. And uh, I just found myself. Yeah. Okay, so how did you, how'd you, how'd you come up with the name Victorious? I I actually didn't come up with it myself. Mm -hmm. uh, the cipher is the one that came up with it. All of my brothers that was uh, uh I believe I got my writer's name a, a Greenville Correctional Center. Um, a lot of the brothers uh, were there, and it was like, uh, son, man, you you got a, a, a journey, you know. Had you know, we gonna gonna dive into the degrees, and one thing we use our supreme mathematics and our supreme alphabet. Um, and the brothers asked me, man, how you see yourself? You know, out of all of the, out of all of the, the, the supreme alphabet, which, which way do you see yourself? I said, I see myself as Detroit. Mm -hmm. And that's your wife's name, man. You know, so um, I wouldn't say per se I came up with it, man. The, the wife came up with it. Yeah. It's a fitting name just knowing you. Knowing you. Okay, so look, I'm going to give you all the story. All right, me and Victoria's, we met in Greensville Correctional Facility or Gr Greensville Correctional Center. That's a cage in Virginia. Um, it's pretty much a housing facility for black men ages about 18 to 45. <laughs> I'm going to say maybe a little bit older than 45. It's a lot of older heads in there. But, you know, when a lot of these people leave the community, y'all wonder where they're at. It's a good chance they're in a place like this. However, some people choose to use their time more wisely than others. So, Victorious, how much time did you do? Nine years, eight months, 12 days straight. All right. At what point during that nine years did you start start making your plans for what you would do when you get out? Hmm. I would I would say realistically looking at probably 2012, 2013 was when I really started to settle down and decide, okay, we need to do some things when we come home. But what? And how many years were you in at that point? Uh, a little bit over six. Okay. Uh, six point oh seven. Okay. Six. All right. So, um, so with that kind of time, I would say you pretty much had some serious felonies, right? Some serious charges, conviction, whatever. It was a serious situation, right? Oh yes, sir. We, uh, I got seven felonies and like five misdemeanors. Okay. Uh, they range from two robberies, use of a firearm, commission felony, 
possession of stolen goods was another gun, possession with intent to distribute marijuana, felony eluding, uh, malicious wounded, assault mm-hmm. uh, on government officials, you know, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So pretty much, if you didn't start, if you didn't get your mind right before you came home, it's a good chance that you would have been a target for them to bring back in a recidivism cycle, right? Exactly. Okay. Uh, I, I will 100% completely agree with that, with that statement. Okay, so yeah, you you would have been a target. So let's all right. Let's go through the process of what you started doing. What kind of plans did you make while you were still in there? Okay, what it started was first was the uh, identification process. That was that was the fundamental tool on success. Uh, identifying who you are. You know what I mean, you, you you have to truly realize that okay, you can't live for us. You know, in the sense that where I'm going to present myself to be one way instead of just being comfortable being myself, regardless of home or what. You know, um, being young and dumb, I got locked up when I was like, I think I was 18, 19, you know, and still, still, you know, smelling myself. You know, so I knew everything, actually, in all actuality, I knew nothing. Um, so when I, when I got to that point where I was comfortable being myself and didn't have to, you know, feel like I had to bristle up or I had something to prove to somebody, I started realizing, hey, I just want to prove it to myself, you know, and life started to become that much more simple. You know, once I did that, then I started to see some of the things that needed to be done in life. Okay, well, if I know I don't want to come back up in here, I need to talk to some of the brothers who have repeatedly messed up, mm-hmm. learn from them. You know, um, I hadn't had that opportunity. I'd been locked up in jail a couple of times, but never had I did a, a, a stint, you know, where um, things would be new. Because when I got locked up, they still had picture phones. You know, they, that was the biggest thing. Yeah. I think Booster just came out there, well, where you at? Yeah. I think, you know, so um, things were new to me. I believe uh, one of the brothers pointed out to me, and he's like, hey, man, don't try to open your hand because I was pitching like with a phone. He's like, Nobody does a flip phone no more, you know. So identifying right. all the new things as far as not just electronically, uh, but socially, you know, what are the social roles? You know, what are the the roles as far as getting a job, obtaining a job, family crisis, you know, dealing with uh, your other half, you know, your significant other, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. I started studying, you know, that was the biggest thing, study, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and learn from learn from other people's mistakes and their success, you know, then to make it apply to my life. Right. Right. That make that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so while you were in this process of uh rebuild uh, breaking down and rebuilding yourself, right? What you came up with with a concept or, or an organization in your mind first, right? Manifestation of it's called Victorious Ambition, right? The acronyms being V A is where you're from. So tell us about um, why you came up with Victoria's Ambition and, you know, what's the goal and the mission of the organization? Gotcha. Um, man, it, it had so much symbolic meaning, you know, and it was, you know, everybody's a play on words, so to speak, you know, Victoria's a lot, Victoria's Ambition. Being victorious is overcoming the adversity inside of your own life. The ambition is being a go-getter, you know, the internal knack, that drive self-sustaining, that self-burning uh, fight, you know, but some people need that help, you know, some people need that push, you know, to, to ignite their own 
you know. So what I did was, you know, realize that, hey, if I can show people that I can do it, anybody can do it, you know. And that's where that's where the beginning was because I realized I didn't want others to go through what I went through, you know, going through the penal system, going through the mountains, um, you know, and, uh, and just a lot of savage, you know. And I realized I didn't want that for myself, my brother, or my enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's not something that, that they, anybody should have to, to deal with, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I started, I started there, um, formatted it on pen and paper, you know, and then I started writing out to other organizations, um, family members, friends, churches, institutions, anything, anybody that would listen, that would, that would, that would take my letter and read it, you know, I went with one with that. Okay. So then, um, you get you came home. You actually, all right. So I'm gonna tell the people. I'm not gonna act like I don't know. Okay, Victorious came home six days before me. So pretty much while uh, me and him were in the reentry program, I met him. And as y'all can hear, this is a good dude to be around because his head is on straight. He had a real plan when he was getting out. I had a real plan, and we hang. We we were, uh, spoke to and were around other people with real plans. For when they come home, not people that planned on acting like they were going to do something and then end up back in prison. You know, people who really were not even focused on any type of street activity at all. Just, you know, focused on either themselves and prosperity or no. the community. Is that it? Go ahead. Uh, us being able to come together. Uh, can you hear me, brother? Go ahead. Yeah, pardon me for that. One of, the, one of the greatest things about us being able to come together at Greenville uh, especially on that side of the yard, um, it was when we, I always, my last three institutions is when I, I started, you know, my change, and I started realizing you had to change the company to keep, you know. Um, you, I had to realize that if I wanted to be an entrepreneur or be successful, I had to surround myself with like-minded individuals, forward-thinking individuals, mm-hmm. you know, um, when you and I had uh, had met, man, we were on. We had transcended from 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 basic uh, slave mentality, you know, realizing that hey, man, it's so much more that this world has to offer, and that we have to give back. Um, meeting people like, such as the King Paul Taylor, mm-hmm. you know, who uh, was very very inspirational. I believe in. I can speak to both of us in both our lives. Very impactful, yeah. you know, because he helped give us guidance. And, 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 and is about things to do. He has his own nonprofit. He's like, man, maybe you want to do this. Work on your elevator pitch. You know, your 30-second goals. You have to be able to have that. Mm-hmm. You know, and applying it that with hit what he's saying, uh, learning from you, because uh, you were one of the brothers that was telling me about um, technology. You mm-hmm. know, um, learning from uh, Red Gold. You know, and I'm seeing people who are, who are business-minded. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to create a business group, a brain trust. You know, we need to develop these things. So as we start to go to child hall or meal time, you know, for those who don't know what that means, you know, we going, we stepping as professionals. You know, we're not just stepping up in there going to get something to eat with pants hanging down off the floor. We, we stepping up in there like, hey, man, I wonder if they let us take our photos in there, you know, like we young professionals. And, you know what I'm saying? That's, that was the, 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 the outset, the mindset that I had. Mm-hmm. Like I tell everybody, it's 95% mindset. Five percent skill set. Right. You, know, you can, you you have to have the correct mentality. 
you know, and if you have the wrong mindset, you know, and all the accolades and, 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 and trades and things uh, associated with any job or career, if your mind, if your mind is wrong, you, you, you're you destined for failure. Facts. You know, so that's um, a fact. That was that was very very critical. That's a fact. And then, okay, so another thing that happened while we were in there, Victorious, you had the idea <clears throat> that one thing that would be good for you to do when you went when you got home and it would be able to catapult you into a life of normalcy at first and then prosperity eventually was um, CDL truck driving, commercial truck driving. So what you did was at the facility we were at, there's no training program for CDL or anything. You instituted a, a, a bi-weekly, right? We did it tw uh, not bi-weekly, twice a week. We met up and we started doing CDL training classes, correct? Yeah, yeah, man. Um, I, I actually learned about trucking while I was at uh, King Mountain Correctional Facility. Mm -hmm. There was uh, a brother who was uh, very fortunate to have him as a sale partner by the name of Kevin Dunlap. And I thought that truck driving was a was a taboo thing, especially for somebody who was incarcerated. Right. But he made it so appealing and understandable that if anybody is built to drive trucks, that's a felon. Anybody that's been incarcerated, you know, tight quarters, being able to budget, you know, move around, you know, um, deal with high high stress levels because you deal with a lot of stresses while you're incarcerated, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then you just had the uh, ability to sit there and learn how to change kids, and you can do anything. So I'm like, okay. So knowing that, hey, man, I need I, I need to think past dope, you know, um, what can I do out here other than I know I can easily go get a job at McDonald's or Burger King. Um, that's that's not even that difficult. They will hire felons. That's that's easy. Right. But how can I get into a career that'll help me be successful, help me be a man? Because a man has responsibility for himself, his family, and his loved ones. So how can I take care of all three entities? You know. Well, um, the way I can do that is trucking. So started um, getting the, the book, the CDL manual. I started talking to other truck, uh, former truck drivers who were incarcerated, listening to them, you know. And I said, oh, man, we need to, get, we need to harness this. Um, it started with idea, man. I thought, dominant thought, you know. And I was like, you know what? I know other brothers would like to do this, too, because if, it ain't just about me. You know, if I can help my brothers, I'm going to do that. True. So I started the CDL study group for six minutes. You know, and I remember, man, I actually remember one of the first classes, man. Like, people would drag out there, like, man, what you doing in chairs? Why y'all forming up in them groups up there? <laughs> you know, a lot of backlash. You know, I didn't care. I could care less. All right, I already seen it sitting in this truck like I am today, driving down this highway in Southern California. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I thought that the means justified the ends. You know, like, hey, if we get this down here now, we'll be able to go to the next level. You know what I mean? When we get out there. So starting that, by the time I, before I got released, it was 70 men waiting to get inside my study group class. Yeah. Where we were just sitting up there listening to others, going over the booklet, studying, staying on each other, you know, um, uplifting each other, positive reinforcement, you know. Um, I, before I left, man, I'm going to be passing out CDL manuals to do in other pods and other buildings, uh, building two, building three. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm getting, I'm getting kites from, uh, excuse me, messages and stuff from um, from um, uh, S2 
in S3. Like, hey, man, y'all, y'all send some stuff over there. You know, things like that. Like, all brothers needed was that fire to be ignited. Mm-hmm. So just started spreading it right there, you know. And that kind of helped me catapult me with Victoria's Ambition. You know, because like they say, man, you know, dudes get in there and come on, you want to do it on the street? Well, if you put what you're doing in there, it's basically how you're living out, you're living out here. If we prepare ourselves in there, we'll be that much successful when we get out here, you know. So I'm using this training ground. Exactly. And you and you actually came home. So then that's a good segue into what you do now. So tell us, t- take us through the journey, because you had a pretty strict um, probation um, when you first came home because of the of the things you were um charged and convicted of before you went in so tell us how you navigated through probation and then tell us how you uh started started prospering in, in the trucking industry okay coming home again go back to the training ground right before i came home what i was doing was i was preparing for each day day by day i need to know exactly what i need to do those who fail the plan plan to fail mm-hmm. So I had to come up with a very stringent plan. And then I had to have a plan, a backup plan. What if this doesn't work? Okay, what if B doesn't work? What if C doesn't work? I need to be able to um, break this all the way down. Okay, so I came up with a plan for my first 30-day 30 30 day goals. I ended up giving my TV to my sale partner, you know, and just just studying every day. If you remember, you remember I used to have my, my goal sheets up on the wall. Yeah. You know, now, let me, tell, let, me, let me interrupt you and tell the people what you mean by 30-day plan. This wasn't... This wasn't a plan sheet, a goal sheet of things he wanted to accomplish within 30 days. This was every single day there was a goal that he wanted to accomplish, and it was mapped out already. So it was day one, day two, day three. It was like that, y'all. That's for the people who don't know exactly. Because, you know, a lot of times people want th- people think short-term goals. They just think, okay, get it done by then. But, no, yours was, was strict for real. It was daily. You had what you wanted to do each day. You wanted to come home from the probation because we came home around Christmas time. So everything was kind of shaky as far as right. people, uh, things being right. open and everything like that. So you even had it planned out throughout then. You know, all right, so go ahead. Yeah, so what happened was um, I, after I had my 30-day goals, I came with my three-month goals, six-month goals, one year, two, five, and ten. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I knew okay, one, I was fortunate to come home to my family. But one thing brothers and sisters sometimes fail to realize is even in the midst of your change while in the incarcerated, we have to remember that those on the outside, their lasting image of us is when we got locked up. Yep. You know, so we can't just expect them to say, okay, when I tell them, hey, I changed, they just going to run with it. You know, mm-hmm. so... I did what I did was help give them as a guide as far as basically something that I rules and regulations that I chose to live by, you know, um, and, and, and like a measuring stick to show them like, okay, look, this is something I plan on doing here. And not only sent it to my family, I said to my mother, my father, my aunt, everybody was, that was riding with me. But I also sent it to the probation unit. Um, they wouldn't let us know exactly what your probation officer would be, depending on your jurisdiction or where you're going of case may be, um, but I just sent it to the whole unit. I sent three different copies of everything. I just went and got a manila envelope and just sent everything over there, you know, um, just to let them know, like, hey, this guy that's coming through, he's not playing, you know. Um, again, I know about naysayers. I know it's all about the show and proof. And anything you do, you know, you got 
perform job performance evaluation. You can talk to them, you blue and say, come on, what you going to do when you get the job? But what are you really going to do when you get that job? Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I, I sent that to them. And when I got out, man, um, it was it was like, hey, sir, um, nice thing. He's like, man, well, we really backed up. I'm not going to be able to see you until January. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, okay, um, um, I apologize in advance. He said, for what? I said, because uh, I'm going to be showing up over here every week. You know, you're going you're gonna to get tired of seeing me. Hmm. Um, I'm striving to get a job, but I already got a gig working with my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm already striving to get a job over at McDonald's, and then I'm working to go to Presto, uh, which is breaking sandwich bags, and then I'm looking to go to truck driving school. I know that's down the road, you know, I got to work to get my license first because my license was stripped from me uh, due to the drug conviction. Mm-hmm. But I knew this going in, into it, I called it DMV. I knew everything I needed to do, you know, in order to make make myself successful in my endeavors. Yep. So, okay, what do I need to do? I let them know. I let them know from top down. Man, the man was so uh, willing to accept what I had, my plan, because he said, man, I've never seen no one come home as prepared as you. He said, man, I, I hear that stuff talk all the time, but, you know, in this in this my probation officer used to be an officer, you know, at Nottaway Correctional Center. Mm. So he wasn't new to the, the game, you know, and job. People trying to job, you know. So um, he said, man, it's like a breath of fresh air. Seeing you with your plan, because we've all seen your plan already. We was, we was like, hmm, it was impressive. Let's see what he's about, you know. Um, so that, that was key. That was critical. Coming home with the plan, but now putting it in action. Right. You know, now, now let's see what you are about. When I first came home, I started speaking within two weeks coming home. Um, I had speaking engagements, uh, man, several churches, uh, the Boys and Girls Club of America. The Martin Luther King January, I had several events. We did the Martin Luther King um, celebration. We did, I spoke at the Cherry Stone Convention Center, and I think it was like 250 people there at that event. Um uh, the Boys and Girls Club earlier, and fast forward, you know, keep speaking in different places, going to the schools, you know, reaching out to them and letting them know, like, look, I am a fella, you know, but I want to tell you why I'm here. I'm coming here because I don't want them to go down the road that I went down. Right. You know, so um, just keep putting yourself out there. Prepare yourself to know they're looking for one yet. That's all I was looking for was one yet. Mm-hmm. But because of my story and because of the, my presentation, I got multiple yes. You know, so many people wanted me to reach out to these youth, these young kings and young queens, so that they did not repeat my foot, uh, follow my footsteps. Right. So, um, man, within six months of me coming home, I was the commissioner speaker at, at my elementary school graduation. Mm. You know, and 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 that was that was huge. You know, because I I fast tracked and went to got on the McDonald's. Um, I'm a, I'm gonna tell you about McDonald's and why it was so cheap and why it was so critical. The respect, um, having a a, a a level of respect for each institution, each place that you're going, because you have to have a plan. I went there and I told her, the lady, I can't remember her name exactly, but I told her the reason why she should hire me over the next individual. And right. I tell this to anybody with a felony, and especially anybody that's on probation. I tell them, I said, 
the reason why you should hire me over anyone else is because if I mess up, you have the ability to pick up the phone and call my probation officer, and they can have me violated, which can lead me back inside. Right. Now, if if Joe over here messes up, all you got to do is just tell, call him to the office and tell him to turn in his badge, you know, and he's on doing the same thing. What you got to ask yourself is who has more to lose? Right. Who has more to work for? You know, and she would say, you do, you know, and they gave me the job. So I respected the opportunity first and foremost, mm -hmm. you know, regardless if it's flipping hamburgers or what, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's still a job, something that's keeping me, um, it's putting food on, 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 on my belly, keeping me matured, but also keeping me out because you got to have a job. Right. So what I did was I worked the grill, but I also went above and beyond to call it duty, man. I went out there and I was kicking out every cigarette butt, every piece of gum up and putting it in a bag and going and turning this in. The lady was like, sir, I, I've never had nobody do that. Right. Like, we don't, you used to get some cleaning crew or something. Like, now what you don't understand is I just came from working for 18 cents, 23 cents, mm -hmm. 27 cents right. for an hour. Right. You know, your, your bi-weekly check would be my monthly check mm -hmm. to half of that. You know, so I'm just saying, you know, that what I told you when I came in here, my word is my bond, regardless of whom or what. You know, so they were ready to move me up. But in return, what she did was she wrote a letter of recommendation and appreciation in my stead and sent it to my probation, my probation officer. You know, and I continued that when I left that and moved up to uh, Presto Product, you know, which I was able to really put a dent into my court cost of my fines. Mm -hmm. This is where I was ready to able to pay everything. You know, I'm talking about I owe like over five thousand right. dollars. So knowing that, okay, I needed to uh expedite this process of me getting my life, I know what I needed to do. And the plan once again. So once I started making these payments and I told them the same thing on why they need to hire me because they told me no several times. I'm going over there every week, twice a week, telling my PO like, look, I'm over here at McDonalds. I'm going over here to Presto. I'm going to get on over there. It's like, man, yeah, but don't don't beat yourself up if you don't get on. I'm like, sir, I'm going to be going over there. It's like I come over here and see. He said, man, if you're doing that, I'm pretty sure eventually you'll get the job. Right. I think like a week after that, I got the job. I maintained both jobs until I paid off my court costs and fine. Mm. Then I let McDonald's go and still worked over there, you know, until I'm able to finally pay off everything, catch myself up, and then be able to sustain while going to truck driving school. I went to a 15-week truck driving um, academy, you know, graduated top of my class. Um, and as soon as I graduated, I had, well, in that process, they let you start filling out applications. I had 68, 68 uh, trucking and companies tell me, no, they went out. Mm. You know, um, 68, you know, and it's, but I had three yeses, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So um, that's all you need. One up. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, one of them really made sense because uh, one was giving tuition reimbursement, two uh, was allowing for fast tracking, a, a way to grow, you know. Um, and I said it made sense. They just gave me a shot. All I need to do is give me a shot. Mm -hmm. But in order for me to get there, there was a lot of things that took place. I went to that job. I, my my record was very very sketchy for them, but I went with eight letters of recommendation. Yeah. 
I went with letters of recommendation from my two previous employees, but also from pillars in the community that I've been working working with, reaching out to, and letting them see my plans and letting them see that I am who I say I am. Mm-hmm. You know, so when human resource department of my uh, of my saw this, they was like, "Man, you really doing all this?" It's like, yes. You know, now what's what's not even crazy. It's not even surreal. But now the the same company is supporting every endeavor that I do. If I tell them I need to get off and and and, and go perform a, a task somewhere, they are supporting. Like, what do you need to do? Just let me know. And this is from the top down, man. I'm talking about from the the president. Three vice presidents know what I do, and I can call them by name: Shane McPhee, GG, you know, <laughs> Nick Brooks. Yeah. You know, I'm talking about, and I got all the information. I got their emails. I got their phone numbers. You know, they donate um, most of the administration. Most of the administration, they didn't bought my bracelet. We do five dollar donation bracelets so I can take these kids on trips. Yeah. You know, so and they all don't understand exactly what I'm doing and why I'm doing. So it, it, it starts with this plan, man, and then you put it into action and look what it can manifest into. Right. Right. That's amazing, man. This is this is inspiration. I don't have, you know, I need, this is what I need my people that come home from the cage to know. Everybody needs to know this, man. It, all, it starts really with planning. That's it. If you have the plan, if you have it mapped out, then you just follow the blueprint. It's already, you already mapped it out for yourself when you had 24 hours a day to do nothing but work on your yeah. future. That's the biggest advantage of, and there's a lot of disadvantages, but the, there's an advantage that you have in a cage that people out here in, in the um, in the free world don't have. They don't have time. You know, out in there, you got time to just sit and map out everything. You could think of every single possibility, just like you did. You knew some people would tell you no, but you knew what you had to do, which was be persistent. You know, you knew persistence would work probably because you were studying. You saw what worked for other people. You saw what didn't work for other people. You saw what brought other people back. Normally, what brings people back to prison is impatience. They don't have they don't have the patience when they get out of jail. They think they're going to get a yes because they made plans. They think everybody's going to tell them yes. They think the plan is going to work out the way that they thought it would work out. And they give up when it doesn't. But you didn't do that. You just kept it moving, kept going. You was persistent. You you knew what jobs you wanted. You went to get those jobs. Now you're you're full blown. You know how many hours you got. Prob- I mean, how many? Um, let's. OK, so when did you finish truck driving school? Uh, this was two years ago, I want to say. Yeah, I'm on my second, yeah. I'm on my second year now. Okay. Uh, like November, November of 15, I want to say it was. Yeah, that's when it was, November 15. You started November 15? Yeah. Okay. So you, so we came home a little bit over two years ago, and you already over a year into this career you got. Yes, sir. And this is, you know, uh-huh. and you spent, let's say, you spent most of your twenties in a prison. Yeah. Right. Outside of six months of it, outside of like six months of it, I was, and I did all my twenties in the penitentiary. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this, this is another lesson to tell people that just because, like, you're not even, really, you're still young. I, I consider you still young until you're at least 35. You're still young. 35 is not old either, but you're still young before 35. There's time to make up for anything that happens. What was you about to say? You know, 
couple of things. One, I've been to now 47 states, 47 out of 48 uh, continental states in the continental U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been to most of them, man, two, three, four, five times over. You know, I'm an elite trainer at this company. Uh, I'm in the top 10% and every major statistical category that they keep. You know, um, and I say that not to toot my own horn, but to show people that we really respect you and I and the brothers that started that, that truck class, we took that thing so serious. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when everybody else wanted to go out there and play spades or watch their TV show that was not going to help them be beneficial in any way, shape, form, or fashion, while they were doing that, we were, you know, tilling the land, you know, cultivating our mind, mm-hmm. you know, being being listeners, you know, that was the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Would you listen? Yep. You know, that's our biggest problem. We come home with still that penitentiary mind frame. Yeah. There is no way you can be successful with a penitentiary mind frame in a sense that if somebody upsets you, Hey man, let's go on the sale. Right. You know, or right. you know, like nobody's doing that out here. Like, you know, I had to, uh, I had to um, desensitize myself. You know, they call us institutionalized a lot. Mm-hmm. Some of the things I don't want to let go. Mm-hmm. You know, because one of the things we learned in is we learn we can't have one person thinking one way and then but it really means something else. Right. We need a clear cut understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, that happens a lot out here. You know, but. What I don't want to be is overbearing. I don't want to have people where they don't feel like they can. We're not approaching. You right. Know? You have to. All these tools uh, relate to us. We have to do this in order to come out here and don't look like, hey, man, I don't want that guy here at my job. I don't want that guy around my kids. Mm-hmm. Do you know that's one of the biggest things to me? One of my most proudest accomplishments is. I'm able to go to parents, get their kids, and they trust me with their kids. I'm right. taking 12 to 8, 10, 12, 15 kids sometimes at a time on trips, you know, and they, they like, here, they take them. You know what I mean? Like, and it's not even a doubt in their minds that I'm not going to honor them and protect them. Right. You know what I mean? And this is, this is not even... <laughs> This is not no time removed from, from the penitentiary. So, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Because they don't understand our heart. They don't understand our, the mindset. They understand that what I'm striving to do is break these chains, break these continuous cycles that have been embedded into our mind. You know, um, we have to re-educate them with the correct history. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Give them these tools in order to be successful out here. I don't just want to teach them um, that, hey, in the bank, there's money. Right. Because 95% of people, um, if you ask a child, hey, what what, is, what what do they do at a bank? Only thing they're going to be able to tell you is, well, I know on Friday, uh, my mom or my daddy or my grandma, they go over there, and by they pay, after they work, they get money from there because pay is called a paycheck. Mm-hmm. But nothing else. Exactly. You know, this, this is a problem. This is a problem when we knowing that um, – and by 2025, I believe, his, Hispanics will have, it will be more Hispanic than any other race combined. So why aren't our kids learning 
you know, Spanish. Right. Why are why are we last? And I'm talking about Asiatics. I'm talking about black. Mm-hmm. Talk. Why we have every major statistical category? You know, as far as like English, science. You know, why are we last? Yeah. Why are we Why are we looking at each other on crabs in a uh, crabs in a barrel type situation? Mm-hmm. Why are we pulling each other down? Yeah. Why are we so big to go on Facebook Live? We prepare ourselves to go on live to get ready to go out on Friday or, you know, to show, show that. But we're going to put that same energy and effort in to get off the welfare. Hmm. You know, see, we, got, we got real live problems. That's true. Let you me know, say this real quick people. before you, let me say this before you go on. Right. This is when I knew. This is when I knew that what you had going on. What you had going on was a serious situation, right? Because when when we were um, we were still locked up, I remember you were writing letters to the kids, right? And I wrote I wrote a letter for you so that you could send uh, my letter to what I wanted to speak to and say to the kids too. But I asked you one time because for the people who who did not grab um, already grab it by now, Victorious is a five percenter. He's a part of the nation, or I don't know if you I don't know if you can ever be not a part of it, but he's a five percenter. Nations of God and Earth, and he is. Uh, Okay, so if anybody knows about the gods, when we were locked up still, I asked you, are you going to deal with churches? And you said, yeah, because it's not about that. It's about reaching these kids. And we and we and you come from a like, I would say, relatively religious town. Pretty much most of the people are Christian. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was no way that you could shut down the religious institution of Christianity when you wanted to reach the kids and that's where the kids were at. And you didn't have it in your mind to shut them out because they were quote unquote sleep or deaf, dumb, blind, whatever you want to call it. You didn't shut them out for that reason. You, you wanted to deal with, you would deal with the churches just so that you can get, um, um, the, the, get the ears of the children, the ones you wanted to help and the other people in the community. So that when you told me that I was like, okay, victorious is about to make it happen when he got out. Because that's one of the biggest things that a lot of people who are quote unquote woke, the first thing they want to do is shun religion and, pr- and pretty much um, ostracize them. But at the same time, saying that they want to make progress, you can't you can't um, belittle the people you claim to want to be helping. It doesn't work like that. So when you told me that you were about to um, work with them. And you had already been working with them because you were writing them letters and letting them know that you wanted to come and deal with them. And they were writing you back also. I knew it was real from at that point. See, yeah. um, here's, there's several things about that. One, well, we're from, it's, it's called the heart of the, I'm from the heart of the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. You know, um, knowing, understanding what GLD consists of. Because, see, people can take it around with it. People take certain parts of it, and they they misconstrue the the essence of it. You know, you have to be able to have empathy and sympathy for each and every person's walk like their subculture. You know, um, I can't talk over nobody. You know, because then I become as that theory that Yaku theory. You know, he was a a, a mad scientist. You know, who wanted change. This is. Looking at it on a on a, on a level of if I if I want to sit up here and help my brothers and sisters from where I'm from, you know, because I got my own problems where I'm at. I'm not in New York. I'm not in California. Mm-hmm. I'm not in in Jersey. I'm not up north. You know, I'm from the south. I know where my universe walk at. Where it starts at. I know understand that I'm from. I'm almost missionary circle president, youth director in the church. 
my father used to be the superintendent, my grandfather's superintendent. So, you know, understand I read the Bible, you know, front to back, up and down, you know. But then being able to have my eyes open to the origin of the Bible. Who wrote these Bibles? You know, who is King James? You know, you have to be able to speak the language of the people. Mm-hmm. See, um, a lot of these brothers inside of the culture, you know, they get to the point where they 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 become unapproachable. You know, they come to the point where nobody wants to talk. They they planting that 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 fear inside of your brother. Why would you want that? I definitely want nobody to fear me. Right. You know, I I fear a scared man more than I do a an alleged gangster. Right. You know, I'm, my my goal is always to educate. So, and there are many brothers inside the culture who are way more advanced as far as knowing history, quotes, and dates, and stuff like that. That stuff really is irrelevant to me. I don't care who has any quarrels with that. My thing is, I know the main thing is we want to do with the culture is reach the base. Right. We want them not to be slaves for mental death and power. And this goes from the babies, not just on a literal sense on the plane, because the one thing we lost sight of with Jesus, um, Jesus wasn't in the church. If you look at the Bible, you just look at it and take the whole New Testament. Jesus went to the church one time. Right. The rest of the time, Jesus was amongst the people. So, you know, getting this out, when I go speak at these churches, this is one thing I let them know. One, I let them know, look, I'm not a Christian. I tell you, to see for the pastor, the youth director, because I never want them to think, oh, he deceived us. Because we're not about deception. We're not concealers. I'm not a, I'm not a Mason. I'm not, and I'm not no Carter Illuminati, as they be saying, claiming JB is. And he said you be God by. Right. You know, it's, it's we, we, we are revealing, you know, these things that can keep you up, man. You know, we we already know about involuntary services, man. We know about that. You know, we know about being indentured service. Okay, well, now what? What else? What's behind it? Where are we getting to the roots of why we are still stuck the way we are? You know, why am I not taking it? Why would I not take these kids to HBCUs? Well, now even HBCUs are starting to be ran by the European order. Right. Okay, but I just needed the education starts at home. So if I'm talking to the kids, I got to talk to the parents. If I'm talking to the parents, I got to talk to the people where the parents live in. I got to talk to the Section 8 housing development area. I already spoke to them in two of them. I got to do it. It's not about because the term Christianity came after Jesus was, was um, returned to the S. That's something that came later. Mm-hmm. That was something to make him like more of a martyr. You know, that's Jesus never said that not one, not one time. And any no Christian, no pastor has ever been able to dispute me with this. All that having faith size or muscle seed, you got to be able to don't prove to me. Right. Make it tangible. The people in the street, they want to be tangible. I can sit there and talk to them about getting money all day, about financial goals and investments, but until they see me put it inside me seeing me up here begging for a ride or something somewhere, why would they even believe what I got going on? Right. If we make it tangible, if I show them a camaraderie, like, yo, you don't have to treat your brother like that, you know, and then they see what you and I did from afar and then see what you and I doing from right here, right now. They see what Red Gold and I doing, you know, or any other brother out here 
that I that I block arms with and, and embrace uh, uh, beloved. You know what I mean? Like it's we on the path of righteousness. If they can start to see that we're planting new seeds now, that we're tilling the land again in the mind, and now we're watching that grow. We're helping helping that grow. That's how I do be a civilized man. You know, and going into the church, that's what I got. And in, in, in my town, in my county, I'm from the fourth, fourth largest county in the state of Virginia. That's all I got. There is no mosque out there. You know, there's like three other people who have once claimed to be God body. I don't even worry about them because you, you'll reveal yourself. You're qualified to qualify yourself. <clears throat> the show and prove, the show and prove starts with me. You're the only person that can discredit you. Right. Nobody else can discredit you, bro. You know what I mean? Your work speaks for itself. Right. You know, so that's what that's what you do. You take the mask off, be comfortable being yourself, everything else will fall right in line. Right, and that's a good and that's a good closing statement right there. Take the mask off and everything else will fall in line. You are the only one that can discredit you. That's a good word. As they used to say, as as we used to say back in the day, a little peace. But <laughs> I'm uh I'm gonna let you go right now. I'm about to get True on the phone, man. Let him talk about what he got going on, bro. Uh, thanks, thanks for um yeah, for, for it, opening up to my to my listeners and everything. Uh, I'm gonna get at you later, all right? All right, brother. All right, Peace. thanks, man. All right, so that was my guy, Victorious, right there. I'm gonna get my guy. I'm gonna call my man True. Um. Uh, it's hard it's harder to hear true and understand him so his call is nowhere near as long as victorious's call because i could i couldn't hear him that well but you can still hear that he is he, he explains what he has going on how much time he did and everything like that so here's my boy uh true right here Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you loud and clear. What's going on, bro? Oh, I mean, I can't complain. I said leaving Duke Gardens downtown. Huh? I said leaving Duke Gardens downtown, North Carolina. Okay, all right. I'm recording you right now, so let's get into it. All right, let me get a quick introduction of yourself, man. Tell me where you're from, how old you are, all that stuff. Oh, uh, my name is Junius Whitaker. Uh, I'm from Petersburg, Virginia, but at this exact moment, I'm living in Charlottesville, Virginia. Okay, okay. All right, so yes, again, um, I just got off the phone with Victorious. <clears throat> so again, me and True, we met in uh, Greensville Correctional Center. And uh, we met in a reentry program also, you know, just like me and um, a few other, other people. The way I met people was pretty much over the chess game, you know, whether they were either standing around watching or playing or whatever. I think I, think I kind of might have got acquainted with you, True before chess though i think because you lived upstairs and you were you were um cool with some other people that i was cool with and then we eventually started talking like that and uh yeah all right so how much time did you do total i'll get a total of five years three months six days five years three months six days okay and so did you have like some pretty pretty did you have a violent charge uh, no. Nah. Okay. Uh, 
all right, so you had some you had some pretty serious felony situation that would give you five years. What uh yeah. like how old were you when you got locked up and then when you got out? Man, I was like what, twenty two, twenty three? I think I was about twenty eight or something like that. Okay. Okay. And you came home like eight months after me, so you came home like August two thousand and fifteen, right? Yeah. Okay. All right, so like at what point during your five year span did you start planning for what you wanted to do when you got out? Oh man, like day one. Oh yeah. Once I got in that situation it was already like what do I do what do I do like to find my way out and how do I set myself in the circumstances that I don't have to go through it again, you know. So I uh was fortunate to have two great brothers around me that, you know, Help me to, I guess, guide myself. Help me guide myself from, uh, I guess, the past conviction. Guide myself, um, like mentally. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. think about situations you might have put your family in. To think about, uh, like, <clears throat> all that you lost. You know, things you probably was trying to acquire at that time and the likes. You know what I'm saying? So, as a whole, I was fortunate to have people that was like, no, don't fall. Don't, like, use the motivation, like, to get. So from there, I just was. Like massive reading, just having an understanding for life itself. Um, then I guess once I got an understanding for life and just felt like just who I was as a person in general, mm-hmm. uh, it was about what I love doing and like how do how do I go about doing it with the circumstances, you know? Um, not being privy to a lot of uh, privileged access to certain things, you know what I'm saying? Just at all means, just taking in all that I could and. Making sure that every day I grew a little bit more as a person. Right. Okay. So what? What? Um. You had a particular skill that you took from. Uh. Well, you you had the skill. I don't know if you had it before or after you were locked up, but you had a skill for what? A blueprint or, or mechanical drawings. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it all started with like CAD drawing. So um, I knew what I want. I knew I knew I wanted to make a lot of money. I knew I didn't have a lot of avenues available to me, so looking at, like, everything that I was told that I could do and how I could go about doing it, I wanted to find a way that I could take what was being given to me and be allowed to do a lot more. So uh, I took the CAD program, and uh, and taking the CAD program, you know, understanding, like, the the basic building blocks of, like, mechanical mechanical engineering, uh, architectural architectural blueprints that like, like, is actually what like was what sparked what I do today. Okay, and but all right. So for the people who don't know what CAD is, CAD is computer aided design, design, right? So it's yeah. pretty much when you um you're making digital drawings, whether it be some type of 3D modeling or whether it be blueprints or any type of schematics that it could be, is computer aided and it's just easier to do than drawing it out with rulers and grid paper and all that stuff. All right. So what did what did all right? So as a, it was certain avenues were cut off to you because of the felony, right? Just like all of us, we can't yeah. just go out and do yeah. any anything, you know. Even even if we have the skill, some people just won't hire us for certain things. So, yeah. um, you you went and acquired that skill while you were in there because they <clears throat> offered that program. So where were you able to take it? Like, at what point are you at now? What type of work do you do now? Oh man, the let's say what last eighteen months. 
uh, in that time frame, it's been uh, working at Aerojet Rocket Band, uh, machining parts, and like engineering development parts for aerospace, uh, what's called SAS, so satellite, and uh, military defense weapons. So short range, mid range, long range, and a contra-contral ballistic missile. So, uh, so from there, uh, I went back to a, a small, I left there, went to a small shop um, where I originally got started out at. And in the process of that, uh, went to Rolls Royce, North America, uh, building civilian aerospace device. Okay, so you said in 18 months. You went from being a felon after a five-year jail sentence, or uh, you served over five years in prison, to now working, uh-huh. now working for Rolls Royce, making yeah. parts for rockets. Yeah, over airplanes. Okay, airplanes. So aerospace. You're in aerospace, yeah. helping to machine yeah. parts for Rolls Royce. Eighteen months yeah. after. So really, I right, March it around. Let's say nineteen, nineteen months, whatever. Uh-huh. Either way. Yeah. Less than two years, this is where you are uh, experiencing prosperity in Virginia, which is like pretty much the defense and aerospace capital because you got Langley, you got Bone, everything is up that way. Yeah. Um, And they accepted you and they saw your skill. Now they can't let you go, yeah. really, because you have the, the perfect skill for them. Yeah. yeah. That's great, man. And so, what else? It just worked. It was just fun, just the talent. They 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 were willing to I guess like enforce in seeing the talent it was a situation where it was like, do we allow a barrier to stand in the way or do we like take the talent and just like look past it? Right. Right. Because at the end of the day it's all about productivity. Yeah, most it's, all, it's all about productivity. I mean, as long as they can ensure that you will not repeat any of the past offenses they need your skill set and on that level you know on that level of work they can't just they can't be snobby with it because they need the best workers they need the best and most skilled and the brightest people working there and if that person happens to have a felony i mean hey cut the check yeah yep yeah man that's a good thing that's a good thing i ain't gonna hold you too much longer because your phone is breaking up a little bit but i appreciate you for calling it or for letting me call you and you opening up about what you had going on bro yeah, most definitely, man. I just, I mean, for anybody listening out, man, just for every no you get, man, just for all the times you get a no, man, just don't understand that it'll be a yes. Mm-hmm. Like, man, you gotta acquire a little desire and be able to convey what it is that your passion is in to the people who are listening to you. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, if, if you have a passion for something, if it's something that you love, like, be be able to tell others how much you love it. Allow them to be able to see how much you love it. And uh, eventually, you know, somebody will see the vision. It's always, it's always about for it, the vision. Mm-hmm. As long as you can show them the vision, man, how can they tell you no? Right. The vision. The vision. That's a good That's a good piece to end on. The vision. If you have the skill and the vision, you can do anything you want to do. All right, True. Get back to your road trip, man. I'll talk to you later on. Alright, good looking. Alright, y'all. So those are my people. 
we met in Greensville Correctional Facility or Correctional Center in Virginia. That's in Jasper, Virginia. You know, you don't even want to be in a place called Jasper. Like that's a, I mean, I mean, it's not Jasper. <laughs> All right, so we weren't in a place called Jasper. It's called Jared, Jared, Virginia. Anyway, Jasper. Which one of y'all? It, it, Jasper is a crazy name, man. Don't name your kid Jasper. I don't care if his dad's name is Jasper. Don't name him Jasper. All right. Anyway, so um, yeah. So I'll tell y'all my story now. So I was only locked up. See, I say only because I was in Virginia. In Virginia, they make you feel like your time is nothing. Because in Virginia, man, they lock people up for a lot of time. So when you say something like two years, they be like, oh, you coming? You, you on your way home. And really, that's your life. Like, you're like, yo, I got, I got 16 months. This is a lot of time for me. But they like, nah, oh, you on your way home. You good. You know, this is how in Virginia, man, I'm talking like they give, they give it, they, they locking dudes up and giving them time. You hear me? Don't don't run up in no place with a gun in Virginia and do nothing, because every person that's in that place, <clears throat> you're gonna get a charge for each person that's there, and it's not a game. They're giving people time, like. But anyway, so <clears throat> what I did, okay, I had they sentenced me, so I, I was in the courtroom. I I never been in any trouble in my life, and um, I, I'm in the courtroom. And they asked me, did I have anything to say as I was being sentenced? So they, what I was charged with was I was charged with five things, two felonies and three misdemeanors. Um, malicious wounding, use of a firearm and commission with a felony. Those both are felonies. Then there was three misdemeanors that had to do with shooting in public, stuff like that, concealed weapon, all that crap. All right. So in my preliminary hearing, they dropped all the misdemeanors. So now I go up and I, I got to go against two two felonies right the plea deal was they they told me what the deal was the deal was i plead guilty to malicious wounding and they'll excuse me they'll drop um they'll drop the use of a firearm and commission with a felony now the reason that that's important is because use of a firearm and commission with a felony in virginia has a mandatory three-year sentence that's mandatory meaning you have to do everything on that 85 percent of that the time you're doing Virginia is 85%. That's the minimum you can do. They don't have parole there. So 85%, three years plus the other charge. Right? So I took the plea deal. I pleaded guilty. Only thing about that plea deal, they didn't have time attached to it. Meaning my the time I would get would still be up to the judge when I get sentenced. All right. So took the plea deal in May. <clears throat> I had to come back in, in August to be sentenced. Now, I went back in August, August um, 16th, 2013. I go in the courtroom. I don't know how any of this works because I've never been in, in trouble before, right? And they said, uh, he said, okay, do you have anything to say? And like I said, I don't know what's going on. I said, yeah, um, so I don't think you should lock me up because, you know, PTSD and I didn't, you know, I was out of my mind, blacked out, all this stuff. I couldn't help it. They said, okay, that's cool. I'll sentence you to five years. I suspend three years, four months. So, like, I don't have no family in the courtroom or anything like that. It's just me in there. So, I'm like, okay, well, there's nothing really I could do. I'm in there with my button up, my tie on. You know, I got a nice little watch. I'm stuck. They just sentenced me to, to 20 months. <clears throat> so, they take me in the back. My journey starts there. Um, so, I ended up doing 16 months in a week. That's 85% of 20 months. 
right? So um, I get out December 23rd, 2014, two days before Christmas, right? I, you heard during Victoria's thing, like he got out December 17th. I got out December 23rd. We got out six days apart. All right. So, boom, I get out. Now, my plan when I get out is to program. I want to become a programmer. I started learning programming in, when I was locked up. But <clears throat> problem is I was learning the wrong type of programming languages. I started learning HTML5 and uh, JavaScript and CSS3. Not to say that's the wrong thing, but what I wanted to do was build apps, applications, like mobile apps and things like that, software and everything. You can't really build mobile apps with you probably can at this point because html is pretty advanced now but that's not the best way to do it so i was at so you know i had to scratch that i started learning java came home had no job and i was in a new state so i moved to georgia a state i never lived in before boom the probation here very very lenient never one time not one time met my probation officer never Right. And I was on probation for a year. I never met her. So needless to say, <clears throat> I had an easy probation. Um, all right. So I came home. I'm unemployed. I thought somebody had the job set up for me. Shay's uncle, you know, he said he can get me in and it's not his fault or nothing like that, that I didn't get in there. But when I did the interview, they I don't I don't know what the situation was. They didn't hire me. So I thought I had a situation. I didn't. So then I started getting on Craigslist. I'm looking for jobs or whatever. This is about um, February 2015. Right. I was unemployed. So then I see a job for a land, like do landscaping type work. So I was like, hey, got to humble myself because remember, I come I came out the Navy. I was a radar tech. I was making good money, about 20, 21, 22 years old. I had my own house. I owned the house, own car, owned it. You know, I was doing pretty good, but I had to humble myself. Right. Let's go do landscaping. Right. Came home. <clears throat> they hired me to do the landscaping because, you know, felons and, and immigrants, that's their thing. Um, landscaping companies will hire you with no problem. Right. So they hired me at nine dollars an hour. I was driving 40 minutes each way. So 40 minutes to work just to make nine dollars an hour, 40 minutes back. Right. Like I say, had to humble myself. So I did that for like four weeks. Now, I didn't just quit. But when I got I was doing that job I still was looking for other work so four weeks into doing that I found a um, another Craigslist thing and it was for a moving company two men in a truck right so at two men in a truck um, they pretty much that's a good place for felons also they, they you know pretty much I think everybody that I worked with was a felon I, I would I would bet that everybody was all right so I worked, I started working at two men in the truck on, truck on February 28th, 2015. Boom. So I'm working, you know, it's hard labor in the summer in Georgia. You know how it goes. So I worked there for six, um, I'm working there maybe five months at this time. It's like June or July. I run into, uh, we have a customer that I'm moving his stuff and he's an older white guy. Right. Um. So we get to talking. He was in the Navy also. He was in. He was in the computer field like I was in the Navy. And so we started talking. We exchanged information. He said, yeah, uh, contact me. I'll, I'll um, try to I'll try to. I didn't tell him. I told him what I told him about my background. I said, um, now I can do the work. But one thing you need to know is I have some past transgressions. That's what I said. 
And I think he knew what I meant. He said, hey, man, don't worry about it. Everybody has mistakes and all that stuff in the past. So he said, boom, don't worry about it. So then I, um, I sent him a long email about what I can do, what, you know, what type of skills I have and all that. He said, OK, cool. I'll forward this over to my to the boss and, you know, we'll see what we can do. Um, so then maybe at the uh, so then I go back, you know, I'm doing my job. You know, I, I networked with pretty much a lot of people. So this just seemed like a regular, normal conversation that I had with a couple of people because a few different people said that they can get me um, better employment and all that that fit my skill set better. Because, like I said, radar tech highly advanced anyway so uh <clears throat> i'm working and then one day i get an email from the vice president of the company so i'm like whoa this is this is major I get an email from the vice president he said he want to meet me you know he got a position for me and you know we want to talk about it and everything like that so i pulled over hold on man so all right I had to come outside, man, because, you know, things started happening in the crib. All right. Anyway, so I pulled over and I called the vice president. I had the conversation with the vice president. And he says, OK, boom. We want to meet with you. You want to come in and, uh, you know, tell us about yourself. Bring everything you have. And I, I said, OK, boom, I'll be there. So what I did was I got my paperwork together my uh, resume i got a couple of my accomplished sheets from the navy i got a couple um letters of, of uh recommendation from like senators and all this stuff that i had acquired over the over a year over the years and uh i went in this meeting with the actual actually the president and owner is who i met with and he never asked me about he didn't ask to see my um paperwork at all I guess he just knew he was going to hire me from the beginning. So we pretty much sat in there and talked about college sports the whole time. So, you know, I was pretty confident that I would get the job, but I didn't know, you know, because he didn't talk to me about working. But um, from what I from what I gathered, the other people in there had been talking and they knew they were about to hire somebody. So, uh, yeah, so I was working my two my, my job at two men in a truck and then I got the call and I said, hey. We like to offer you this position. I said, yes, you know, because when you're working in the hot sun in Georgia, man, doing hard labor, like carrying couches and crazy tables and crazy armoires and all kind of dresses and shit, man, man, listen, it'll break you down. I'm telling you. And then coming from what I came from, like I always knew when I was a kid that I didn't really, you know, I can do hard labor and manual labor and stuff like that, but I don't want to. You know what I mean? I, I work hard using my brain so that I don't have to do hard labor. You know what I mean? I don't fix cars. I don't build things. You know, I probably could if I wanted to learn to, but that's just not me. I'm a I'm a thinker. I'm an intellectual, and I'm not afraid to admit that. But I can get out there and work. So a lot of people know they didn't see me move, move furniture. Like, I, I move a whole house by myself. I have done it before. I'll do it again. That means that's nothing to me. I just would rather use my brain. So anyway, I was happy to get away. I did two. I did um six months working at two men in a truck, moving moving furniture, you know. And and I I got a couple of promotions while I was there in that six months. So I I, I wasn't just playing around with the job. <clears throat> I came in as a mover, which started me at ten dollars an hour, and they don't pay you. They only pay you. That you only get paid when you're charging a customer, right? And they charge customers hourly. 
So let's just say I'm driving up to a job. I don't get paid for that. When I'm driving home from a job, sitting in traffic and all that, I don't get paid for that. So it could be an eight-hour day where I'm actually gone from my house for eight hours. But if we only charge the customer three hours, that's all I'm getting paid for, three hours. So it was that type of job. It was whatever, though. I had to grind it out. And, I, and you know, me and Shay, we made it happen like that. And then um, so I started this new job and I was back. I was back in clean living, you know, had my own desk, had a computer. I was a technician again. I'm on salary. You know, it was very low salary, but it was a salary. So, you know, it is what it is. So I'm doing that work. But then when I start my my new job back as a technician, I became a laser. They hired me to become an optical slash laser tech. And really, it just means I, I fix it. I fixed everything. Um, I worked on GPSs, advanced GPSs for the construction industry. This is what we do, advanced GPSs for the construction industry, optical, um, optical theodolites, all kind of stuff, man. So I fixed that stuff, and um, I learned quickly. So the guy that was in there, he was teaching me. I picked it up very fast, and I just went to work. Boom, I'm grinding, grinding. So then after I had been there for maybe... Uh, about six months You know I could already I already knew There was tension From the guy that was already there And me It wasn't between us But I could tell That he felt some type of way So um, In May of 2016 After I had been there For um, nine months He quit He quit the job Because he was jealous Of, of what I was doing I was doing very good In the job they sent me um they sent me to schools, they sent me to Kansas, and they also sent me to California. Once he heard I was going to California, that was his last his last straw. He was done. He didn't like that. So he quit. I'm assuming that he quit <clears throat> because he wanted them to want him to, to want to say to him, Hey, we need you back. This guy's in here messing up. He can't do it. Could you please come back? That didn't happen at all. He quit. I took over the shop. I became the head technician. And I started, I did everything. Actually, they still don't have anybody else. I've been doing the whole thing since he quit by myself. And I was only in it for nine months. I learned everything. Um, head head guy in charge over there. All right, so look, I'm doing good. In six months, I did like $82,000 worth of, worth of work in that shop by myself. All right, so anyway, uh, <clears throat> when I hit my year mark, so August 2016, I said, listen, in my, in my mind, this is what I'm saying. Listen, this place, I've been doing the same numbers that I was doing when it was two techs in here. Now, they're don't ha- they not paying him his salary because he's not there. And they're still paying me the same salary. But the shop is doing the same productivity. So I said, it's time for me to ask for a pay raise. So I emailed the vice president and I emailed the president, the owner. And I said, um, <clears throat> I would like to talk about my progress with the company and where we can go from here. I've been here a year now and the shop has been doing very well with me in here by myself they don't need to hire anybody because i'm a machine right so they said okay cool we'll, we'll talk about it we'll have lunch so i went to lunch with the owner you know um and this is he's not he may be middle-aged white guy like maybe in his 40s a lot of money dude has a lot of money right so what they do it this is how they do you they'll get you in face to face they'll try to do a lot of talking and they'll leave a little room and say something about some numbers and then they'll go back to talking about all these plans and things that they have for you. So and me being OK, so this is a thing that black people are plagued with. We're kind of scared to challenge 
to, to make challenges in the workplace. The reason is, is because we're scared to be fired because we being fired for us means so much more than for other people because we're not as sure that anybody else will hire us. So think about being black. Think about being a black man and a felon. So it's hard to challenge things because I already feel like I might not even should I probably shouldn't even be here. So, you know, that's something that we need to get out the mindset of. But it's a reality. We're scared to challenge what, you know, we're scared to really ask for what we're worth sometimes. Anyway, I went in there. I said, um, I would like a pay raise. Boom. We're talking about it. He said, OK, so, yeah, as far as the pay goes, um. No, I asked him about I actually asked him about promoting and moving into this other position. He said, as far as the position, we're not really looking for anybody right now to fill that position because we already have these people and we don't need anybody else. So um, but we might be doing these things and <clears throat> eventually we we like to have you as, um, you know, overseeing all of the service for all of our locations. Right. And that might sound fancy, but it's not. That would leave me doing the same exact thing I'm doing now, but just being some supervisors for people that don't work where I work. <clears throat> I'm not interested in that. Right. So what he said was, OK, cool. I'll give you a 10 percent raise. Now, I just told you all I wasn't making that much anyway. 10 percent might sound like a cool raise for only being somewhere 12 months. You know, if you were if you were to get a 12 percent rate, I mean, a 10 percent raise every year, you would be doing good. The problem is <clears throat> they had another person in there whose salary they weren't paying. Right. There used to be two techs, me and another guy. He was making his salary. I was making mine. Then they completely stopped paying him because he wasn't there. But the productivity stayed the same and the shop kept on making the same money. So think about it. They could have paid me more than 10 percent increase. OK, cool. That's on them. They didn't decide to do that. So I still continue doing my thing. <clears throat> now, an opportunity arised, arrived. And I met with some people at a different place. Now, I went on a job interview slash meeting in January 2017. Right. This is a year and a half after starting at the company where I'm a technician, laser tech. Right. I went to a meeting. They said they love me. But they had already filled the position. So I was like, man, they brought me in here just so that they could fill some quota to say they, they, they you know, interviewed a black person. So whatever. They called me back this Monday, the Monday that just passed. And they said, we would like to offer you a position. Now, let me just let me tell you about this. <clears throat> so they offered me. I got a job offer. Right. The. um. Listen, I got a job offer. The offer, first of all, first of all, the offer is like a. It's a very nice increase in pay. All right, I'll say that it's salary. Very nice increase in pay. The salary alone is close to 33% higher, right, at this new place. Not only is the salary high. First of all, the place I work now, there's really no benefits. You know what I'm saying? The, the benefits are very high because they're not that big of a company. So the st they only have health coverage, and it's expensive for me. So I don't have it. I just paid a fine at the end of the year. This new company offered me a job. Salary, 33% increase on what I make now. Um, and then I have an opportunity. First of all, they do a pay raise every July. Automatic pay raise every July. I, have, um, I will be making commission on top of my salary. And I get yearly bonuses. Now, the job. <laughs> so, all right. Like I just said, this is, this is all great. 
They just offered me that on Monday, right? So then I'm going to put my um my two week notice in at my job now, right? So I go um I tell them, listen, um I got this job offer. So then everybody they stop everything. Now everybody's trying to figure out, you know, the vice president calls me. He's like, hey man, I just got some disturbing news. I say, yeah, I got this job offer. Whoop de whoop. They want to pay me this. He said, say no more. Meaning he is going to increase my pay to that. So what they offer me, he is going to immediately increase it to it to keep me. I'm like, whoa. So I'm in the middle of a bidding war right now. And I'm saying right now, as in as you're listening to this, these people are vying, competing with each other to get me to work for them right now. Right. He the vice president said, say no more. We'll give you that money right now. It's done. Don't worry about it. He at first he asked me, you know, am I am I unhappy? Like, why am I am I looking for other jobs? I said, no, it just came. The, the opportunity just came. It's just really about money. He said, OK, say no more. I give you that increase, whatever, you know, whatever it take. So. Uh, I'm like, damn. I said, damn, that's nice. That's cool right there. I said, let me think about it. Right. So I say, let me think about it on like Tuesday, Wednesday morning. He pops up. He Now, the vice president works in uh, Tennessee. I work in Georgia. He works in Tennessee. He he popped up in my shop like, hey, let's go talk. He takes me to lunch and everything, trying to talk about it. You know, hey, so I said, I'll give you this pay increase. Now, what are you still thinking about? Because the pay is there. I said, see, I, I sent you the um the offer letter. They're offering me much more than just a salary. They offer me bonuses, commission, these crazy benefits. You know, they pay for life insurance over there. They got the the wild 401k match. They got all the benefits. Any kind of benefits you want to even think about as an employee, they got all that. And the commission is on top of the salary. How can you can't? I didn't say this, but I'm thinking in my head because, you know, I like these people. You know, they took me. I feel like I feel like they helped me out. They don't know how much they helped me out. When I was working at two men in a truck, man, I'm telling you, life was like, I ain't going to say miserable because I had a job. Life was not as pleasant as it could have been. You know what I'm saying? Two men, that worked because like I told y'all, I was doing so much, so many hours away from um, Shay and my daughter and I wasn't being paid for it. I was only being paid when we were billing those customers. So I was just out all day. Like I would be out from 6.30 to like 9 at night and I might have been paid for like six hours. You know what I'm saying? So these people at this company, they got me out of that and they paid me a salary and an easy job. You know what I'm saying? I sit at in there, listen to podcasts. You know what I'm saying? I, it's easy. So I, I appreciate people when they do stuff for me, whether they know they did it for me or not. So that's the only reason I feel bad about, you know, um, having this situation. But the, the company is kind of small. They can't afford at this point what I have just been offered. They literally can't afford me. They can't afford to pay me these type of these type of commissions. They can't afford to pay me uh, bonuses. They can't afford for the health care, the, the vision, the dental, the life insurance, the vacation. They just can't afford me at this point. So that's the crazy thing that's been going on this week, y'all. So <clears throat> that goes in line. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you all that story, but that goes in line with this. What we saying about felons and prosperity. Listen, y'all. No, like. If you if you happen to have a felony or if you happen to be in an adverse situation, there are industries out here 
that the only and, and the only thing they care about is a skill set only thing they need you to do is be skilled in that thing now if you don't have that skill right now guess what you spend your time all of your energy the same energy you spend on the internet the same energy you spend complaining about what you don't have the same energy you would spend looking for a job you spend that energy practicing and learning about the skill that you want to get into the field that you want to get into because everything doesn't you don't have to go to school for everything the, the the work that i work in right now you don't have to go to school for that you just have to be you'd have to know electronics that's it i never i didn't graduate from any colleges i was in the navy but you know the navy didn't teach me the stuff that i do now so the thing about it is you have to you just got to start working you heard my boy victorious you heard my boy true plan man i plan and i'm still doing my programming thing i just need to make money while i learn you know so uh like it's a it's a thing about it's it's nature right in nature, you see, you, you ever seen them pour out a concrete slab, then it'll be laying there, then eventually it'll start cracking? Like, that's nature. That's nature breaking that up because, and then plants is going to start growing through that concrete. That's nature. You can't stop what's supposed to be. If you are supposed to be great, it don't matter where you, it don't matter if you go to jail, it don't matter if you go, you know, whatever. If you drop out of school, none of that matters. If you are supposed to be something, you will be it. And I'm not even done. This is just the beginning. I'm only 26 years old right now. I'm younger than my other two um, homeboys I just talked to. You know, I'm younger. Uh, and and I'm younger than them. Y'all just heard my story. They make more money than I make. You understand what I'm saying? So, and uh, Victoria is only six days difference from when we got out. And uh, true, I got out eight months before him. He make way more money than I make working in the aerospace industry. You know, you can't. Like when you when you are determined to take care of your responsibilities and your families and your family, nothing is going to stop you. It's not, you know, that whole. I mean, listen, I'm not I'm not judging anybody. I just know that I'm here to help. However, I can help now. A lot of people might think that I just sit around and talk all day. Let me tell you what I did when I was in prison. When I was in prison, I wanted to help these black men. Men, any, you know, white, some white men came to me for help too, but mostly black. It was 80% black in there. Um, so what I did, I started a book program. What I would do is any, any man in there who wanted a book for his uh, professional development, you know, meaning if you want to learn something that's like professional, whatever, real estate, uh, restauranting, business, anything. If you wanted to learn something that would help you professionally. You come to me, let me know what you want, and I will buy the book for you. Now, that might seem like a small thing, but it's kind of harder to get books in there for dudes because a lot of them don't have family support. And a lot of them, you know, like Victoria said, we only make it 27 cents an hour. You can't afford a book. That's just being real. You can't afford a book when you have to buy soups and stamps and stuff like that. You just can't afford it. So what I would do, I would buy these books for dudes and get them sent in. And it was just for them to learn. They would always ask me, hey, what I owe you? I'm like, you don't owe me anything. Don't even worry about it. Just tell me what you need. Tell me what you want to learn. I will get a book for you and I'll send it in. Now, this is the thing. People are always skeptical when somebody is trying to help, especially in jail. When you're in prison, it's hard to trust people. So nobody, it wasn't a lot of people that actually trusted the situation, but a few people actually took advantage of the program I set up. And I actually sent, I got some books sent in. Then when I came home, I had even more, I sent even more books in there. So it's just like, 
I'm really, I'm really out here wanting people to find a way to prosper. Don't just sit around like, cause if you, if we just come home from these adverse um, situations like jail and prison and whatever, if you drop out of school and you like five years post school and you don't know what you're going to do because you work at a factory somewhere, you don't like it. Listen, just start, just start planning. That's the first step. You heard victorious. You heard true. You heard me. Just start planning and then start going down your checklist and doing it. Back to back to back. Knock things out. All right. I just rambled on long enough, y'all. This reps, this episode is long enough. You know, y'all hit me up. Let me know what y'all think about, um, you know, bouncing back. You know, um, you heard Big Sean. Last night took an L, but today I bounced back. Last night is yesteryear. Today is now. It's time to start working, man. Time to start working. I'll get at y'all later, man. Peace. Lane switching, chain glisten, pain sipping, my brain tripping. Life is a bitch, but I stay with her. Ain't no shame in it. I might run in your mouth if my name in it. One punch to the mouth, look like a train hit it. When shit get deep, it's like a drain in it. It's going down, 40 cal, 40 rounds, shorty wow.